This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta. You are listening to Dr. Carissa Hines, and this is Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I hope you all are having a fabulous Thursday morning. We broadcast here every Thursday at 11 a.m. live on WWE Real 1100 a.m. We also stream on the internet at www.real1100.com. You can watch us. I'm actually streaming the show on the Old Fashioned Health Network page and also on the Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa Facebook page so you can listen and watch us live. So now, show starters. Let's start with our shout-outs, as we always do. So um, I love welcoming new family to our listening, new cities to our listening family. So if you are listening from wherever you're listening from, give me a shout-out and let me know where you're listening from, and I will shout you out the next week. So... Excuse me. So shout out to my number one fan. Hey, mom, I hope you are having a fabulous Thursday morning. Shout out to family in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Hobbs, New Mexico, Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Hampton, Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Gaston, Alabama, Center, Alabama, Oxford, North Carolina, Temecula, California, Opelika, Alabama, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, Lusby, Maryland, and College Park, Georgia. Thank you all so, so much for joining us every week, week after week. I appreciate your listenership and I hope you are getting something out of listening every week. As I mentioned, we are part of the Old Fashioned Health Network and so you can find our show and other shows that will be great uh, to listen to on the Old Fashioned Health Network. We are in several podcasts, including iTunes, Google, and Captivate. Please find us at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. That is the name of the podcast, as well as the radio show. And, of course, 
uh, if you can't listen live today, you can listen at your convenience via those podcasts. Please follow us on social. On Facebook, I am Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. On Instagram, I am at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And on Twitter, at Minutes Doctor. All righty. So for those of you who can see me, I am wearing a sweatshirt of the Charles R. Drew University. So this is the last, as today is our last Thursday in Black History Month, um, and we have been profiling uh, each of the four HBCU medical schools. This is our last uh, school and um, our last Thursday, so it's fitting that it works out very well to do that. So let me tell you a little bit about Charles R. Drew University School of Medicine and Science. <clears throat> Drew University was uh, founded in 1966 in response to an inadequate medical access problem within the Watts region of uh, South Los Angeles, California. It is located in Willowbrook, California, and is the last of the four HBCU medical institutions that we will highlight this month. But, you know, I'll tell you, I have been enjoying doing this, so I think I'm going to continue to do just a little snippet about um, black medical history. Um, you, you all think that would be a good thing? Let me know, because I want to give you what you want and, and none of what you don't. Uh, so the school is named in honor of Dr. Charles R. Drew, who was an African-American surgeon and pioneer in developing the techniques around blood transfusion and transfusion medicine. In 1970, the offices of the Charles R. Drew Postgraduate Medical School formally opened, and in 1973, then-Governor Ronald Reagan signed Senate Bill 1026, which authorized the allocation of funding uh, to support the university. In 1978, in partnership with the UCLA School of Medicine, a joint program was approved where students would complete their first two years at UCLA School of Medicine and finish their clinical years at Drew. Currently, there are three schools housed on an 11-acre campus, the College of Science and Health, the College of Medicine, and the Mervyn M. Dimali or Dimali School of Nursing. Since its founding, Charles Drew University has graduated more than 600 physicians, 1,270 physician assistants, 1,700 other health professionals, and over 1,400 nurses. So definitely contributing to uh, closing the gap in access of care out in South LA. So shout out to my brothers and sisters at Charles R. Drew University School of Medicine. Alrighty, like I said, I have enjoyed uh, sharing with you all a little bit of history. And so what I'm going to do is just kind of keep up with what's going on at these schools and just bring you a little bit of news uh, on that front as well. So today, being the last Thursday of the month, on the fourth Thursday of the month, we always have our money and medicine segment, and today is no different. So, let's get into it. Money, politics, religion, sex. Four of the most taboo topics to bring up in conversation. 
there is psychological drama surrounding money. So why is talking about money so taboo? Although money is a critical and integral part of our lives, no one wants to talk about it. So why don't we talk about it? A lot of reasons for that. So one, there's a symbolic meaning to money um, that can bring up issues of dependence or issues of insecurity. Uh, you know, some people don't want to talk about um, times of want with in, in terms of money. Um, and so, you know, talking about money brings them to that point, And that's not a, a good time for them, I guess. Uh, there is the issue of etiquette and good manners. Uh, so according to Emily Post, the doyen of what good manners are, talking about money is worse than talking about sex or religion. People would rather tell you about anything else about themselves rather than talk about their money, I guess. Money is a surrogate for power, and so it is uh, easy to measure up and compare to others in terms of what you have and what you don't have and what you want and how to get it and all of those things. So we use money as a measuring stick to compare ourselves to others. So now if you are on the tall end of that measuring stick, I guess that's okay. But if you're on the shorter end of that stick, that may make you feel a type of way. And so people tend to avoid talking about money for that reason. Then there are family messages, attitudes, and experiences surrounding money. So I will tell you, um, you know, in my family now with my daughter, I do talk to her um, about money, about what I earn, how I earn my money, um, and, and what we have to do with our money as a tool. Um, I talk to her about savings and, you know, all of those things. Um, but she is not allowed to talk with anybody else about the conversations that she and I have um, about money because that's just none of anybody's business, right? That's how we think about it and that's how we talk about it in our families. Or it's not talked about at all because that's grown folks' business, right? Or it's none of the child's business, which, you know, kind of does a disservice uh, to that child and we'll get into, into the reasons why. Now, there's also a confusion in my research, I found this very, very interesting, um, that there is a confusion around what it means to talk about money. So when you say we're talking about money, are we talking about how much money I have or how much money you have? Are we talking about how much we spend and the things that we spend it on? Are we talking about how we earn our money? Um, so, you know, when you say we want to talk about money, sometimes you may be having one conversation and your partner in that conversation is having a totally different conversation. So that that can get to be um, a bit much. Uh, differences in races um, in, in your race or ethnic group um, plays a part in, in how we talk about money. Um, you know, I know for many, for example, for many African-American households, you don't talk about what's going on inside the household, outside the household. What's in the house stays in the house. Um, and so, you know, of course, then that limits, limits engagement when we are talking about this. And also, um, money creates a social tension, right? So the taboos in large part are based upon um, social class. So no one wants to offend 
another person by having this discussion. So for example, if you were a millionaire, would you have would you be comfortable having this conversation about money with someone who was a minimum wage earner? Or would they be intimidated in having the conversation with a millionaire? Some people, you know, for some people that's a real thing. And in terms of social tension, particularly at work, imagine talking on your job about your salary. Because what if you discover through this conversation that you're doing the same job, but you're getting paid more or getting paid less? That can create quite a bit of friction in the workplace. And so, you know, many people, um, many employers uh, discourage the conversation about race, but um, excuse me, about money. But that is a double edged sword. And of course, when we come back from break with Mr. Brian Ford of Northwestern Mutual, we will talk about that particular issue as well. So, like I said, I am Dr. Carissa Hines and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And we will be back with our guest after a short break. See you soon. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Stepsepsi is, is, is just nonprofit alternative staffing agency in the country. First Step prioritizes hiring men and women experiencing homelessness, veterans, and returning citizens. With support like job coaching and transportation, we help individuals reconnect and succeed in the workforce. With six locations around the country, 1,700 men and women are employed weekly. So if you are looking to hire or you know someone that is looking for work, visit firststepsteppingcom are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. On the line, we have today our money and medicine expert, Mr. Brian Ford from Northwestern Mutual. There he is. Hey, Brian, how are you? Let me make sure that I can hear you. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes, but now I don't know that I can hear here, Brian. One second, please. We're back. Perfect. Yep. 
All righty. Mr. Ford? I'm here. There you are. That is so much better, so much better. <laughs> so, if you would not mind giving us just a, a quick recap of what you were just saying. Because I, if I didn't hear you, I don't know if, if the listeners heard you either. Sure, sure. So, I was saying, you know, we can dive straight into some of the psychology behind money. Mm-hmm. And what I was alluding to is if you look, like, right at the center of a lot of urban areas around the country, so, you know, inner city Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, there's typically no shortage of, um, you know, liquor stores, payday loan centers, fast food restaurants. And the organizations that run those companies, they're there by design. Like, they know the people who will frequent those places are geographically in that area. Mm-hmm. And so you take it a step further and it's like, well, why is that the case? Why, why are they frequenting those places so often? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it digs into the psychology of money to where, you know, unfortunately, the, a lot of these inner city areas are low income. Mm-hmm. And so you start looking at, you know, people having to make, you know, high stakes financial decisions of, having to possibly look at making a choice between paying the electric bill or putting gas in the car. Right. Or having a sick child. Right. And then, you know, then the, the rent is due. It's like right. the decision after decision after decision. And unfortunately, their outlet very well could be, hey, I'm going to just go to the liquor store and grab, grab a bottle or I'm going to go to the fast food restaurant to soothe the pain of having to make all these financial decisions. Right, right. And then I also throw in the lottery. Yeah, there's no shortage of that. that because going there's on. no shortage. There's no shortage of that because you know you do have a lot of people who are um, so anxious to make a change financially for themselves, for their families, that you know it's worth the risk of spending hundreds of dollars on a lotto ticket just to take that mm-hmm. chance. As opposed Absolutely. to allocating that money, um, you know, where where it would be of more benefit because, you know, the chances of winning the lottery are so slim. And once your money is spent, it's gone. Um, but, yeah, you know, so there, there is something and I hadn't thought about it from that angle of the the predatory angle of taking advantage of people who may not be financially savvy, may not have all of the resources that they need so that their ends can meet because some people out here their ends are not even waving at each other let alone meeting up um you know i i i hadn't thought about that but yeah that that is definitely true and when you see these um you know these payday loan places and that kind of thing and the incredible amount of interest that they pay um but you know but that's not anything new really it's just kind of formalized and it's got a little brick and mortar uh set up but you know there have always been loan sharks and that kind of thing that will um you know charge outrageous amounts of in of interest knowing that you can't pay and then there are dire consequences um to to taking out those loans which only further exacerbate the stress of of a family so now I also was mentioning in the intro about talking about money on the job and <laughs> all of the you're laughing and all of the things uh, that go along with that. So now that that's a two sided coin, because on the one hand, it, it can create friction amongst employees, because if you find out that we're doing the same job, but I'm making 15 cents more than you are or a quarter more, a dollar more, whatever, 
than you are, then, you know, that creates a friction between us as co-workers, but may also create friction between the employee and the employer. But on the flip side of that, finding out what other people are making is how we have addressed the inequities in pay in the workforce, particularly when it comes to the difference between what women are paid and what men are paid for the same job. So speak to that a little bit more for us. Certainly. Um, it's such a sticky, sticky topic. And, you know, it's fascinating in a lot of ways because some of it depends on profession. Mm-hmm. So you look at, let's say, for example, professional athletes, their incomes are publicized. Right. Like, no secret, everyone knows what they make. Right. Um, oftentimes, you know, individuals in sales roles, their information is publicized as well amongst themselves because they're competitive and they want to sell the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you have some other individuals, you know, corporate executives, sometimes their stuff is publicized. But then you do have another subset of the population to where everything's very private. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's really no right or wrong answer. Um, you know, knowing more tends to your point allow for a more healthy dialogue and conversation around this stuff in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now for someone in the workforce, um, you know, because I know and I've worked at in, in some health systems where it is expressly forbidden to discuss money. Um, probably for for the reason of creating not creating friction or probably for the reason of hiding the inequities that, you know, that some that exist between um, different groups of people. So if you are an employer, how or an employee, excuse me, how can you find out if you are being paid what you should be paid in comparison to um, a coworker that is equal? So, you know, I, and I say that because, of course, someone who's been on the job 10 years is going to make more than someone who's been there a month. And, you know, we have to accept that, that, that uh, you know, you're getting paid perhaps for some experience and, you know, longevity with the company and that kind of thing. Those things happen. And I don't have any problem with those. But when we're coming in together and, you know, you're making a dollar more than I am and we're doing the same work, we have the same, we're bringing the same amount of experience in terms of time and actual, you know, tasks that we've completed in the past, how do we, how do we find out if we are on the short end of that stick? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it really requires some courageous conversations, to, mm-hmm. to be honest, where you have to be bold enough to approach, you know, your boss, your employer, or, you know, having some format or some way to have just an open dialogue with, with colleagues, not in an intrusive way to where right. you know, it's just very organic. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of goes to the whole old saying, like, if you have nothing to hide, then hide nothing. So right. it, it kind of makes you think about, like, why do you need to hide it? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, a lot of people, because um, we're human. And some of us are more human than others uh, in terms of perhaps jealousy or, you know, and all of the things that go that go along with that. Um, You know, I know that perhaps well, I'll say even even within medicine, 
you know, we don't, I, there are very few of my colleagues that I have meaningful conversations with about money. Um, because, you know, you definitely don't want, and I don't, I don't know what they, what they make, what they earn, how they spend in it. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, there is that, there is that environment where it's just not, not an okay thing. But one of the things that I am learning in myself is that when we have conversations about money, um, you know, I don't ask, like, how much you make. The conversations that I'm having about money is how to make my money make more money. So if I see someone who is doing that, you know, I may have that conversation with them, not knowing what they have put in or have not put in. So, you know, that's a different level of, of conversation um, that, that we are having. And I think, too, a lot of people don't ask, if you are happy with what you earn, you may not ask someone else um, because that may create an unhappiness in you. Like, why am I not making making that? Sally's making, you know, $25 an hour, but I'm at twenty two fifty. you know, you know, we just don't want to, we, we may be afraid that we don't measure up to what that other person is doing, right? Mm -hmm. and, you, and you most certainly don't want to, to have those conversations that create jealousy because some folks, you know, will try and sabotage you on your job and we all got bills to pay. You know, that's just, that's just the truth. You know, that we all have, they're very, I don't know anybody that doesn't have bills or, you know, and even of people that I know that are independently wealthy, they still have to earn some money in some way because none of us is is living on this earth rent free. So, yeah. So, you know, that that becomes that becomes a thing. But when I was doing my research and finding how rude it is, according to Emily Post, uh, to talk about money, I just found that really, really fascinating that it is written in our into our societal rules. And I wonder where, you know, where that where, where that came from, because, you know, you can look at someone, you know, I think about my childhood and your childhood is probably the same, that, you know, when you were in school with your classmates or your schoolmates, you could kind of, and maybe this is a false gauge, but you could kind of gauge what people had by what they wore, right? Because if you were, you know, so I was in school in the 80s. And so, you know, if you wore a certain type of tennis shoe versus another type of tennis shoe, or sneakers, as they're called now, I guess, um, you know, that said something about your your finances in your home without even having had the discussion, right? Um, and sometimes that was, you know, that, that worked out um, negatively. So when we're talking about, you know, in our daily lives, how do we go about talking about money with our children, because as I mentioned in the intro, you know, Spencer and I, my, that's my daughter, um, we have conversations about money because I don't want her to be so fascinated with it that she gives it more value than it really, really has. You know, I want her to understand what money is and what it isn't, more importantly. Um, you know, and I always stress to her, no matter how much money you have, we are all human beings. And so, you know, no matter your income, you deserve at least the modicum of respect of a human being. You know, having more money doesn't give you the right to be rude to people or, or anything like that. It just means that you've made more money however you did it, right? But how do we start that conversation with our children? 
about money because I don't know if you, you know, it may have been the same in your house, in my house. You know, it wasn't any of my business what my family made. So, right. you know, so until I went off to college and we we're trying to, or I was applying for college and we we're having to do the loan, you know, the applications for loans and grants and that kind of thing, I had absolutely no idea what my family made because that wasn't my business. So how do we, yeah. how do we start that conversation? Um, I mean, you can approach it in a lot of different ways. You know, one thing that I'm, I'm pretty big on myself is, you know, Children, in a way, they, they can be just naturally selfish, just innately, just human nature. Mm-hmm. And so you can use it as a teaching opportunity. Like, hey, money is a tool. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, blessed and fortunate enough to have a lot of it, the tool that you have, you can actually use to help somebody else with it. True. Right. So use, use it to teach them, like, hey, look, you know, the money that you have is not only for yourself. It's actually to help other people as well. Right. Right. Um. And so that just having conversations around that, you know, can spark some curiosity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of course, a lot of it is age appropriate. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, aside from that, you know, the, you know, our children are, you know, kind of going through that age now to where you know they're losing their first teeth. So, like, my, my son lost his first tooth last summer, mm-hmm. and it was a teaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fascinating, you know, to hear his response to what he wanted to do with the money. He he knew in his mind that he was going to go buy a piece of real estate, buy a house. Okay. <laughs> with his tooth fairy money. Okay. With, with his tooth fairy money. Yes. I love it. <laughs> it was kind of interesting to hear, you know, just his mindset, you know, at the you know, young age of five at the time. Mm-hmm. Instead of just going to go buy a toy or some candy, he thought about, hey, I'm going to go buy a house with it. And largely in part, just I'd imagine just from hearing some of the conversations around the house. Right. Right. Because those are those are children's conversation is reflective of the adult conversation. I I very, very much so believe that. Um, And so that says that you all are talking about those things. And, you know, little ears are always listening. You just you just never know what what they are, what they are picking up. And, you know, it's funny with the tooth fairy because now it is a thing you know i've seen many people ask you know well how much money does the tooth fairy leave nowadays you know and i'm like yeah you know it was a quarter when i was losing teeth and you know so now these kids are getting you know five and ten dollars a tooth i'm like my gosh that that is that's something but i guess that's inflation you know the tooth fairy has to has to right. work within those uh, within those means as well. So let's say you have a a preteen child. What kinds of things should you be talking about with them with money? Because I know with Spencer now she wants to go shopping. She has her own money and she's feeling a sense of independence about that. But I don't want her to make the same money mistakes that I made in just saying this is my money and so there's a pair of shoes that I want and so there it is and then I am flat broke at the end of the experience. But I have my shoes and I'm happy, but that happiness is only temporary. Absolutely. So that that's an excellent age to really introduce like all of the functions of money. Mm-hmm. So where it's like, hey, you can spend money, you can save it, you can invest it, you can give it. Mm-hmm. And at that age, any of those can be applicable. And I'd imagine there's some, in, in this day and age, some, you know, 
gadget or electronic device that they probably want. It's like, hey, that electronic device has a price tag associated with it. Right, right. And so if you really, really want it, here's how much it costs. Here's how much you have to save to get it. Or here's how much you have to invest. Here's the type of return and yield you have to get on your investment and continue to invest to eventually get to the object that you're trying to buy. Right, right. I like that idea of talking about in investing because I'll tell you the conversations that I had as a child with money were, you know, not to spend it all and to save it, which sounded incredibly boring to my 12 and 13 year old mind. But, you know, had I known about the conversation or had the conversation with anyone about my money making money and then I can take that made money and buy what I wanted, that's a whole, that's a, that's a, that's a total paradigm shift. Um, you know, for a child, and particularly, um, you know, I will say in African-American communities, because that's not something, you know, I, I think that for a lot of us, it is the basics of earning and spending and maybe saving. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. earning and earning money means that you're going off to to work, that you're not making money in your sleep through investments and interests and, and, you know, those types of things. So I think that that's really, really interesting. Now, as an adult, so, you know, we've talked about, you know, having that conversation, that age-appropriate conversation with our children. But, you know, sometimes the problem is us, is the adults. So what strategies should we employ in talking about money? Because, you know, I, I think that there's an opportunity to learn from, the person who has very little, but they manage to to budget well and, and do very good, great things with a little bit. And then there's also something to learn with someone who has quite a bit and has, you know, expendable, you know, resources there. So what, what types of things, like how do we seek these people out? Because, you know, I, I don't want to, to weird anybody out by, you know, talking with them about about money because it does make people uncomfortable certainly um and to exacerbate the issue you know you know usually affluent people are going to be more guarded just naturally because unfortunately with the world we live in you know there's some unkind people in the world who would see them with a target on their back most certainly take what they have most certainly And so that that just naturally kind of creates some friction to open the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the and the, you know it's, it's fascinating. One of the other things I've seen, uh, you know, kind of going back to the black community is, you know, we're seeing a lot of like for the first time ever. You have a lot of people coming into real money for the first time, mm-hmm. where a lot of money's coming through the door. Mm-hmm. They got money in the bank. They have the house. You know, they know all their needs are met, but they know there's more to do, except they don't know what to do because there's no parent, aunt, uncle, grandparent, or anybody that they saw growing up who's been through it. And so, definitely, the whole like dynamic of what money can do is foreign to them. Right. And so a lot of times where people go seeking out help saying, hey, I know I need help with this. I don't even know where to start. Right. Well, that's where <laughs> someone like you would come in. That's a lovely segue <laughs> for having a, a wealth advisor, a financial advisor, a financial planner. Um, because, you know, like I said, 
even for me, you know, I have been amazed at the things that I have been able to accomplish with little to no effort, um, you know, and it and it's grown. It's amazing. You know, I was reflecting yesterday on um, on our yearly money checkup that we had and mm-hmm. how, how surprised I was that in a short amount of time with, you know, a, a smaller investment that, you know, I was able to make that grow without doing anything to it, with it, you know. And again, you know, I would not have been able to to do that without the help of, without your help, so I'll say thank you, um, but without the help of a financial planner, like somebody that does that for a living. Um, so you don't have to figure it all out for yourself. And even if you're investing small amounts, I think there are most people, I won't say everybody and anybody, because there are some people who really, really, like I said, their ends are not even waving at each other, can't see each other, let alone meeting. Um, but, you know, just putting aside small amounts, you'll be amazed at the growth that you can have. Now, is that going to, are you going to put $25 aside a month and then in a year's time have a million dollars? No, because that's just not how math works. <laughs> you know, right? That's not the math. Um, but you will have more than what you started with. And, Absolutely. And that, is, and that is the goal because that may be a resource for you in times like these where people are unemployed or underemployed and need to supplement, um, to supplement themselves. So, yeah. Anything else? Um, it was one other topic I wanted to touch on. Yeah, and go it, ahead. Like, I, you know, in the theme and spirit of Black History Month, I've just been, you know, really in the mindset of looking at, you know, everything attached to money and, you know, the black community and what does that mean, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a um, thing on Netflix, I believe, right now called um, The Mint, and I need to... I started watching it. I need to finish watching it, but it seems like it's going to be really, really good. And it's really just kind of walking you through, you know, dating all the way back to slavery to present day around, you know, just everything that the black community has endured and went through. And it got me thinking through, um, you know, the the money side of it. Money and the black community in in so many words has been suppressed. Mm Mm-hmm. education behind it, how it works, you know, how it operates, access to money when it comes to, you know, getting a home, um, getting approved for a mortgage. There's like so many elements and moving parts. But long story short, there's a lot of the, the issues, you know, in the community are just systematic. They're right. systematized. Right. And we're trying to figure out, you know, creatively, how do we overcome that instead of just constantly shining the spotlight and saying it's an issue. Like, what are some things that we can do to, to solve it? Um, well, a lot of well, one of those things too, I think, is is the history. Um, you know, because there have been examples throughout history of, of course, black millionaires. I'm thinking about Madam C. J. Walker, um, who was the first black millionaire or billionaire, millionaire, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then when we talk about Black Wall Street, um, and how prosperous that was, and there were these pockets of communities where there were prominent and affluent black people and somehow we didn't learn from that pocket mm-hmm. of how to replicate 
so that we could have more pockets and more pockets and more pockets. Um, so I think, you know, looking at the history and addressing that is, is one of the things and learning from that as, as well. But you were, you were saying you were going to make another point. No, I was just kind of alluding to, you know, some of the solutions, which you, you touched on some of them already. You know, a lot of it starts at home. Mm-hmm. Just having conversations with your youth and your children mm-hmm. uh, around money and just better educating them. Sure. Um, but then, and, you know, there's a dozen different, you know, budgeting and, you know, spending tracking apps. But in, in my opinion, it that has to be coupled with the psychology side to, sure. to understand the, the why behind the what. Right. Um, because right. if you don't understand that, you, you may understand the basic budgeting and whatnot, but that'll be the end of the road. And that's right. a huge missed opportunity. Certainly. Most certainly. So there is the budgeting and then there is also the earning part. Mm-hmm. So there's the spending and then there's the earning and learning that there are so many different ways to earn money legally. Let me put that in. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> let me put that in. Um you know, and then, of course, you know, there is the delayed gratification piece, which is difficult. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to, to participate in that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I don't think that I am unique in that. Um, you know, and of course, learning from our history, I think that if if there could be a thing, I would love to see a system of a money mentor. So if there is someone that is in your circle who has made money or has a modicum of success, not just even with money, but even in in creating a business, a successful business, um, you know, in buying homes, you know, all of those things, because there's so many different ways to to get to that that destination. And I think that if we could pair up with someone who was was open to sharing the blueprint because one of the things that I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong, is that I think generation after generation, particularly in the African-American community, we're reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. So when we have to start at square one every single time, you're not getting to square five. You know, because I notice, you know, when I when I have conversations with, with people of, of different um, ethnic groups, the way they move with money, the way they talk about money just at their dinner table is just vastly different. And it may, and it's not necessarily that they had more resources. It is just like you mentioned, the psychology behind it. And so, you know, I think that if, you know, and I, I wish that I was one of these people that could talk about, you know, well, I guess I can. I can talk about the things that I did wrong and how I'm taking steps to correct them. I definitely can do that. I'm an expert at, at how I have mismanaged money uh, in the past, and I'm sure my mother, who is listening, is chiming in and shaking her head like, mm-hmm. But, yeah, anyway, enough about me. <laughs> enough about me. But, yeah, so just finding someone to... Um, you know, just to pair with and say, how did you do this? Now, I don't have to know what's in your bank account and all of this, but how did you do it? Mm-hmm. And setting that blueprint and following that blueprint and passing that blueprint on. I think that that is how how we can advance ourselves as a people. Now, of course, there are going to be some folks who aren't going to follow the blueprint, and that's okay. Everybody can't go, you know. 
Um, but I, I think that that would be be one of the things. And so, you know, we definitely have to shatter the taboo around talking about money. Um, you know, of course, like you said, you don't want to make yourself a target because I've seen people, and I know you have too, Mr. Ford, um, of folks like these rappers or whatever, and they're on social media with stacks of cash in their hands and they're in their actual homes. And, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, people can find out where you live, you know, so you don't want to do those things, which would be dangerous, um, you know, and thinking that, you know, that you can just show how much money you have and, and that, you know, nobody is even going to be a target that you're not going to be a target because, like you said, there are some people who bear ill, Ill will. Um, but, you know, just being smart about it. Well, Absolutely. As always, thank you so much for your time. I have enjoyed this segment, and I have learned something from this and been inspired to do some things differently, as always. And I look forward to talking to you next month. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Ford of Northwestern Mutual. Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You're listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and we will be back after a short break. At Just for Pets Wellness Center, our expert veterinary team provides personal, professional, and compassionate services to your beloved pets. You can rely on us for pet wellness exams, medical care and treatments, dentistry, and surgical care. We provide a clean, safe, and caring environment for dogs, cats, and pocket pets with exceptional care, always the standard. We're doggone good and the cat's meow. Visit our website for more information at www.just number four petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On the Old Fashioned Health Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in on the Real 1100. Welcome back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. You are listening to the fabulous Miss Donna Summer talking about how she works hard for the money. And so for all of my working women out there, whether you work in the home, work at home, or work outside the home, you are working hard for your money, most certainly. And unfortunately, you know, with the ladies, some of us are working hard for the money and getting 30 cents less than some of our male counterparts and so we have to continue the work uh, to bring that equity uh, in the workplace to light. So in talking about our vitamin C today and talking about money and you know it's something that I have had to um, 
to think about, you know, when we when I wanted or what I wanted to say, um, what I wanted to share with you all today. So I'll start out with a couple of quotes. So the first quote is from Will Rogers. Too many people spend money that they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. That seems like a, a very, very wasteful enterprise. Um, you know, that whole keeping up with the Joneses um, type thing. But again, um, you know, none of us wants to have a want or deficit um, when it comes to comparing ourselves um, to others. But I will say that perhaps using money as that yardstick is not the best way to measure. Jim Rohn has said, quote, time is more valuable than money. You can get more money but you cannot get more time. And I could not agree with that anymore. Um, time is much, much, much more valuable because once that minute is spent, you will never ever get that back again. So I hope that quote helps us to prioritize um, the importance that we place on money um, and the importance that we place on time because all of us are here for a finite amount of time. Um, some shorter than others, some longer than others, but at any rate, everybody's time will expire eventually. So I always find the discomfort around money and, and the thought of what value it gives us um, as a people um, is somewhat puzzling to me, right? Um, because as you all have, have heard me say, and if you've talked to me in person, um, you know, I, I frequently say that in my humble opinion, money is a tool. And that is all that it is. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me worse. None of that. That's just kind of how I have come to view it. So I'll share with you a conversation that I just had like last week with a friend of mine. Um, and he has recently moved to a new city and bought a home. And so I was asking him about, you know, about his home and, you know, congratulating him on it and so on and so forth. And, you know, asking him how about the renovations and how, how that was going. And he said to me, he's like, I bought a foreclosure and I paid for it in cash and then did the renovations. And then he went further to say, it's nothing grand and I wouldn't compare it to your home. Well, I had to take a beat to, to reflect on that. And I said to him, I was like, well, you know, you and I are both homeowners, but you don't have a mortgage and I do. So who's really winning there, right? Because think about it, your mortgage is probably the largest expenditure that you have. Um, and so if that was not there, think about the extra income. Like if you took that money and put it into a vehicle of investment, what you could get from it, right? That would be incredible. So between the two of us, like I said, he's more ahead of the game um, from a financial standpoint because he does not have to expend um, you know, this amount of money, however much it is, um, or how much it would be on a mortgage. More money, in my humble opinion, doesn't make you better or worse as a human being. And I will tell you, and many of you probably know this to be true in your own life, I've experienced despicable people on both ends of that spectrum and at every point in between. Um, and that is how, you know, when you look at people and judge them as people, I would rather look at a person based upon how they carry themselves, how they treat me, how they treat others. Um, you know, that to me is the more valuable measure of a person. So money doesn't make 
make me like you more? Does it make me like you less? Um, you know, I'll share in, in Las Vegas, I went on a trip one time and I got up very, very early in the morning because I like to take pictures of the sunrise. Um, so, you know, I'll go out when it's dark and, and wait for the sun to rise and take different pictures. And so I was doing this in Las Vegas and I met a man and he and I had a conversation in the twilight hours. Um, and he was sharing with me that he had lost everything. Now I will say he wasn't asking me for anything. We were just talking, right? He had lost everything due to his gambling problem. He had lost his house, he had lost his car, he had lost his job, and subsequently he lost his family. And you know, all behind taking that chance and continuing. And of course, gambling um, is an addiction and that is a disease that you know I hope that he um, gets treatment, got treatment for, but just in listening to his story of how he had and how he lost and how he valued himself as a person as a result of that. I've also had conversations with millionaires, right? And, you know, I, there's something, for me at least, there was something to learn from both of those stories. Like I was saying with Mr. Ford, you know, pairing up with someone who has more or has done more or reached a level of success and asking them for the blueprint. That is, is the more meaningful conversation because then that gives you something that you can replicate or make adjustments to make a greater success in your life or an equal success in your life if that is what you choose to do. Epictetus says wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. And of course, that is a, a, a totally different story, as the kids say, that hits different for me um, because of this pandemic and what it has done uh, on economies large and small. And then there is the unknown person who has said, the real measure of your wealth is how much you'd be worth if you lost all of your money. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what my answer, I think, is to that. You'd still be priceless to those who truly love you. Thank you so much for joining me this hour on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I am Dr. Carissa Hines, your host, and I wish you a great week. And until we meet again, be good to yourselves and be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.